With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on Black and White and Red All Over. This is your host, Danny, coming to you for episode number 37. And this week we actually have a good number 37, or good, I guess, however you want to qualify good. And that would be the Roberto Pereira episode. So we will remember El Tuco. Did I say that correctly, Sergio? With, since you're the you're the resident Spanish speaker here. Yeah, pretty decent. Pretty good right. overall. Uh, All right. 8.59 outside. <laughs> Muchas gracias, señor. So, we are coming to you two days after Juventus's, oh, insert word here, performance against Porto, which surprisingly actually still has them with a chance to advance to the Champions League quarterfinals. So, let me, before we get to that, I will bring in the usual crew here of Sam Lepresti. Hello, Sam. Robbie P, man. Robbie loved, P. Loved me, my Robbie P. Robbie P from Udinese, back at Udinese, who we just saw him a few weeks ago. Scored a goal in like 20 seconds at the beginning of kickoff. That was yeah, just... <laughs> that was good old Robbie P. We've got Chucks. Hello, Chucks. Hello, I'm back. Yeah, thanks for holding down the fort. Yeah. All hail uh, Roberto Pereira. Yeah, El Tucuman. Great, and great I, chap. I can see that I'm not the only one with a fresh haircut this week. Yeah, yeah, yes, sir. What was it? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My man, shout out to my barber, Chaz. Shout out, shout, shout out to Chaz, my man. Shout out, shout out, Chaz. We've got Sergio Romero. Hello, Sergio. Hey, fellas. How you doing? Happy to be here as always. Uh, here specifically, not happy overall, but happy to be in the podcast. Pretty much. Very poetic, very poetic. Uh, so, uh, as we were discussing before we hit record, Juventus is. Uh, basically trajectory since the last time we've we recorded a podcast episode was a lot like uh the the season as a whole has been where it is very much a week-to-week kind of deal that week started with Juventus advancing to the Coppa Italia final with a a draw against Inter and then Porto happened so I will throw it to Chucks first and we'll, we'll start out with the Porto talk First, obviously, what the heck happened, and then just how how tough is? I know you're you're the most skeptical one out of the bunch about this team this season. How hard is it really to kind of been full on believer, knowing that Juventus just starts and then stops and then starts and then now this Porto loss that really kind of just slammed on the brakes. Yeah, that's part of the fun, isn't it? <laughs> just the uh, you call it fun. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's kind of a, what is it, kind of a masochistic fun or something? I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it, it really is. I've basically taken it as a given that th- that is how the season is. I mean, we're halfway now, so, you know, that really is how it is. Yeah, I mean, it was a very strange experience yesterday, or sorry, the day before yesterday, we're recording on Friday. 
And <laughs> I think it was, was it Mina Rizuki? She put a, a tweet out saying like, you know, I think it was like big team privilege when you're starting out a game and the first few minutes you're just kind of like not watching because you're like getting snacks and stuff and like you know getting some water it was basically with me I was like ah, getting some drinks and like getting some food and stuff and then and then I got like all these texts from my friends because we had like a chat like a whatsapp group and I got all these texts I'm like oh, damn I guess I gotta get, get, a, get the stream going <laughs> I didn't even have a chance to have a sip of coffee since yeah. the game start for me before you know before noon here I'm usually yeah. rolling out of bed and still kind of groggy when kickoff starts and I hadn't even gotten my coffee before Rodrigo Bentecourt did mm. just, yeah, whatever you mm. want to call it. And of course we'll get to him, you know, later. Uh, he will get his reckoning. <laughs> um, <laughs> he will face his sins. But no, I mean, uh, you know, I remember from uh, when he had his website, uh, Zonal Marking, Michael Cox, you know, a great website. And I remember he would always, he would have some reviews for games like these where, you know, the first three seconds of the game, you know, they would, the, the opposition would score. And I remember he always would say like, it's hard to like, cause he did tactical analysis and in games like that, he would always say, well, it's kind of impossible to judge like how effective team's game plan is when they get scored on or score in the first 30 seconds, because that completely changes the complexion of the game. You know, we will never know if Porto's game plan was really just to kind of, I mean, to defend resolutely like that throughout the game, which, I mean, they did it excellently, of course. Uh, we'll never know that was their game plan from the start because they scored the 1-0 within 30 seconds, which meant that basically they had to launch just sitting back two, two banks of four and then hitting back on <clears throat> hitting back on the counter and, you know, getting, getting another goal, sure, that'll be a bonus or, you know, holding out basically for the clean sheet. So we'll really never know what their initial game plan was, but whatever... I mean, the game plan that then they ended up adopting after the goal was clearly very effective. You know, just, yes, solid two banks of four. Uh, there was one screenshot in, that someone posted in the comments that just showed perfect symmetry, like, along those two lines. And then, you know, the two strikers in front of them. I mean, perfect, perfect symmetry. Um, so, you know, well done to them. I mean, I, you know, do admit that. As for Juventus, I mean, it was just, I think this... Definitely the first half just showed how much football is a game of momentum. You know, once you lose or gain that momentum, it's just so, it, it, it just that intangible. You could just see, you know, we conceded the first goal and there was just this like incessant nervousness with, well, obviously Ben Tunkur, but with the team in general, it was just, you know, passes were obviously going astray because Porto just smelled blood. I mean, obviously they're like, well, we scored in the first 61 seconds. So why not like, you know, keep making them nervous. Obviously, the main symptom of that was just the whole issue at goal kicks. You know, we were still playing out from the back, which we've always done, but just, you know, passing out from the back. And that's where that momentum thing came in, in the sense that Porto sensed that they had momentum, that we were nervous and we were playing, passing out from the back. So then they're like, okay, let's capitalize on that nervousness by really just hounding them on goal kicks on you know on passing from the back and it i mean it produced it was effective in the sense that it just continued that nerve you know it, i mean there were occasions where we did successfully pass out of the back 
but it just you could just sense that like oh my god we're one inch away from another wrong pass to messing it up but uh you know i don't want to ramble on for too long but i think you know main things were really just that momentum that just was essentially on porto's favor and which again i commend them for capitalizing on that on sensing that and just that nervousness really that there was that uh from from juve which i mean eventually kind of subsided but really uh, it just it was just constant anxiety basically um which we better not you know better get over it quickly and uh you know pick ourselves up because the games are coming you know thick and fast you mentioned zona marking real quick chucks and he was actually posting on twitter a couple times during the Porto game, and he he basically said towards the end of the first half that Juventus's primary tactic of hitting diagonal balls out of play is not troubling the Porto backline <laughs> so far. So, that, I mean that so that bad. really spoke to that. Re, I mean that just speaks to really how just I would assume that the the goal within the first minute just absolutely shook the players, but just how ineffective Juventus was in terms of really kind of riding the ship, and then trying to get into some kind of flow again, because I mean, you saw it. it, it felt like Chiesa was just basically hugging the line, trying to jump and prevent passes out wide from going out of bounds and, you know, vice versa on the, on the left side. So, yeah, I mean, the, the passing was the biggest thing for me is that they could not connect any passes consistently for what felt like the first 75 minutes or so. Yeah, which, granted, and sorry, Sam, I just, uh, before I kind of pass off the baton to you, just uh, one thing on the diagonal passes, you know, because essentially that is the right thing to do, though, I think, because, you know, when you're facing, like, two two banks of four really compact defending, then you want to, like, spread the pitch, you know, you want to make the pitch as large as possible. So I think the intention behind that definitely was good, but, yeah, I mean, the execution uh, often wasn't. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the that's the biggest thing. And it was it was Napoleon, right, who said that no plan survives contact with the enemy. That that that's pretty much uh, <laughs> that that that's pretty much was proven in at least in soccer terms on Wednesday. Because there's, I mean, there's no like you said, Chuck. I mean, there's no true way, truly no way of knowing what way either coach was really going to approach this game based off of what happened. I think when you look at it, it, you know, Danny, you were talking about the passing and it comes down and we've, we've been saying this for a lot, a lot of the season, we kind of stopped a little bit when, when our tours form started to pump up and, and you could see just how much he was missed in that midfield and how much a lot of people were missed period. That's another thing that I can, that I'll get to in a minute, but like the, the kind of midfielder that, you know, Obviously, you're not going to get a Pirlo type, but if you can get a diet Pirlo, which, you know, is, would still be pretty good. A guy like I've said his name ad nauseum, a guy like Manuel Locatelli, like that he's the kind that's the kind of passer you need in this team in order to in order to make things you know, in order to make things go against a team like Porto, who are both really good on that forward press. And when they come in and just settle into two banks of four, you, he's the kind of, that's the kind of guy that you need to just incisively pass the ball and get, and, you know, find those openings. You know, it reminds me of the Sassuolo, the time we played Sassuolo, we would be pressing 
up the field really hard. And Locatelli would just be releasing guys from, you know, deep in his own end. You know, that's the kind of thing that, that you need. And with the exception of, you know, Artur is, you know, maybe like half that, you know, and the, you know, in the summer, that is what Juventus needs to take another step. I think that with a player like that and the midfielders that we have, available maybe minus ramsey if you want to trim him off then you have a midfield that can really make this team go but it's you know it was a you know everything changed a lot of you know that that mistake in the at the beginning changed absolutely everything it shook everyone and there was just you know everyone was playing everyone was everyone was thinking 10 miles an hour faster than what they were able to perform you know, every pass was rushed. They're going, okay, I'm going to hit here. There's no one there. I'm going to, you know, hit this. I'm going to hit this ball 10 miles over everybody. That was, there was one time right before he came off when Chiellini launched a, a ball over everyone. I think expecting, I, I guess the intended target was Sandro, but I don't know because the only way that anyone would get to that is go, go gadget legs. Somewhat um, strangely, I think I actually remember what pass you're you're talking about there. Actually, I actually yeah. visualize it, and I remember thinking like just how off, like just the wavelength yeah. was just yeah, like nothing nothing was right, and and you know things did get a little bit better when Alvaro Morata came on, and and that leads me into into I guess really the second point that I uh, that I think this game really showed, which is that. In the Champions League, especially, sometimes you just need to be lucky. And right now, we are, in terms of player availability, Andrea Pirlo is a very unlucky man right now. I mean, to think that, you know, Morata, a, a great fulcrum, the kind of guy that you would love to have in a, against a team like Porto, especially because Porto, in a lot of their league games recently, had been showing a really uh, a propensity to be giving up goals in the air. They had been really weak against crosses. They'd given up a couple of really soft-headed goals in their last match. And, you know, you can't really play that kind of a game with when Dejan Kulusevski is your, the other half of your front too. But also, you know, Juan Cuadrado, huge creative force in the team out with the hamstring. Artur, I don't know what a calcification of a muscle is. It it kind of sounds something like... I've had, a few, I've had a few people try to explain it to me on Twitter and shout out to those couple. See, <laughs> I, I, I would assume they have uh, medical backgrounds, but I still have no idea what it is. Yeah. It, I have no idea what that means. Like it sounds but like, it, a, it, but sounds, it doesn't sound pleasant. That's basically, no, it certainly doesn't. But you know, Artur is the, you know, the kind of, you know, that the one balanced midfield setup that we really do have right now is the Bentoncourt McKenney Artur setup. Bart Bentoncourt has played much better in that three than any other. Um, you know, Bentoncourt and Rabio are too similar to play uh, at the same time. I think uh, obviously Pirlo had no choice on Wednesday given who was available. Paulo Dybala, how much did that game scream for Paulo Dybala? He might come on as a sub against Crotone, according to the most late to the latest reports. So maybe that'll be a nice little, uh, a little boost to get. But you know how many important and even Leonardo Bonucci. I mean, his passing, his long passing ability would have been a nice thing against against the that Porto team. The way that the way that the game started playing out. 
you know, it's, it's tough to, you know, a lot, of, I've seen so many people screaming at Pier, uh, about Pirlo and how he got things wrong. And he made a couple, I think he made, he certainly made mistakes in that game, but there were a lot of things that were out of his hands as well. And, you know, like I feel this, I, you know, Zinedine Zidane is going to be the same way next week when Real Madrid play Atalanta, because they're only going to be able to suit up like 12 or 13 guys total. Sometimes in the Champions League, being lucky is more important than being good. And at least for this first leg, in terms of who was available, there was that was just a lot of bad luck. Yeah, I, I don't I don't really have much to add to what you guys said. Obviously, it wasn't the best performance. Uh, the one thing I will disagree with with I think I guess both of you guys, but uh, I do think that that the plan, at least for Porto, it was it was clear, it was evident, and and if a bunch of us you know, dudes on the internet could tell from the moment that the lineup was announced that, okay, there's no Arthur, there's no Bonucci, that's going to be a thing. I'm pretty sure, you know, the, the Porto manager, who I'm blanking on his name right now, but I'm pretty sure he knew because it was evident that, you know, their plan was, okay, these guys cannot, they, they cannot break out of a press right now as they are currently constituted, they cannot. And they, every time they try to press us, Juventus just simply did not have uh, an answer to that. Whether or not, obviously, I do agree with you guys on the fact that whatever Andrea Pirlo's plan was, obviously, was you know kind of like it went to it went to hell pretty quickly. But I I also wanted to give a shout out to Porto because I think they they definitely realized what the weakness was for Juventus with their current lineup, with the lineup they they went to um, they went with in, in Portugal. And they just exploited the hell out of out of the fact that they didn't have any player who could break out of that press, and and that was just I, I thought it was a really well played, a really smartly played game by Porto. Obviously, Juventus was not at their best, but I, I'd also like to to give them props because it wasn't only Juventus not playing their best. I definitely think it was a lot of just another team kind of like really knowing the buttons to push to take this team out of anything resembling a good game plan. And obviously it doesn't help when your, you know, midfielder kind of like gives away a goal in the first minute. Obviously that doesn't help. But in general, I think that that just Porto did a really, really nice job. And I was I was really surprised by how how much they controlled the game really from the start and and only until the last few minutes when Alvaro Morata came on, when you know a bunch of subs came in and they they kind of showed a pulse there with with Federico Chiesa's goal, but other than that, you could easily make the case that Porto dominated that game, and that's that's no easy feat, really. I think they they played pretty well too. So Sergio, talk- Art, Arthur's ability to make tiny circles would that have helped? Rather, that would have than, helped uh... tremendously, I think. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. and I, I think people people know and people have caught up to the fact that you know no one in this pod is particularly a huge Leonardo Bonucci fan at this point, but I would say like Sam mentioned, I think just, just having a dude who could make that long pass, who could kind of like make that one move that could break the press. We definitely needed that. And and for as good as Giorgio Chiellini can be, that's just not his game. That's just not who he can be. And, and well, I think Matthias league has, has really kind of, you know, made a lot of strides trying to be more of a, of a passing center back. He's definitely still not at the level where you can trust him to to break a press in a big European match. So uh, overall, I, I, you know, obviously I think 
there's a lot of hope yet for the second leg. If you force me right now on gunpoint to say if they're going through, I think they will just because of what Sam was saying. They're going to be healthier. They're going to have more guys available, I would hope. But but there's definitely a bit of a, of a bitter aftertaste, especially after what we, what we saw against Napoli. And then this game is just back-to-back, really dispiriting performances overall. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I really did think at, at one point, you know, going back to that, that first goal, you know, Artur gets that pass. He looks over his shoulder. He makes a tiny circle and then he would have released that, you know, he would have passed it somewhere other than right back into the path of Tarimi. I would like to say, though, let's can we just for a second appreciate just how good Chiesa's finish actually was that was hard opening your body up like that for a right-footed finish into that corner like that's a difficult goal and he scored it without even thinking that was that was really great and I'm also you know I for one I'm glad to have the no one other than Ronaldo has scored in the Champions League knockout round since he got to the team monkey off of our back I, I, I kind of like that. <laughs> I mentioned that in the, in the comments as well, actually, when he scored, that that was an extremely difficult finish because, you know, the ball's coming at pace, bouncing as well. That's the thing. That was really it for me, the fact that the ball's bouncing, which means that, you know, you lean back too far and it's going to easily, just, I mean, easily go, you know, well over the bar. And it's at a weird angle as well. I mean, indeed you would want to take that I guess with your left but then it, it he was running I mean the way he was running at it he really had to take with with his right so um yeah really well done I mean I, definitely and I mean I don't know if we're moving on to kind of a, another topic but or if we want to talk about Bentancur but um I can open up the floodgates if you like you want to empty the clip Chucks what do you want to do <laughs> Say hello to my little friend. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'll actually start on a positive note about Bentakur, which is that it would have been so easy. The easiest thing when things are going wrong is to disappear, you know, is to like just put your head down and just be like, no, you take the ball. Like, no, you know, like just step away from this spotlight and just try to disappear. And I commend Bentakur for still, you know, like, I know this is such an intangible thing to look at, but like, you know, the whole body language thing, like he still, you could see he was obviously affected by it. Like mentally, he was like, oh damn, like I messed up, but he still kept his head up. He still kept playing. Like he really still put himself in positions. Like, look, I'm still going to get the ball. I'm still going to ask for the ball. I'm still going to try to play football, you know? And I just commend him for just, the strength of character to still show up, to still like try and actually like play and still try and like, you know, rise to the occasion, still be there. You know, it's hard to explain, but like, I think there was just something I saw and like, I was like, okay, like, you know, good on you for still like defending hard, still playing hard and still like really putting yourself there. So, you know, I think that takes great character. I mean, this is like how many million people are watching you and the easiest thing would have been just to say, you know, like, you know what, like, you know, I don't know. I'd rather, <laughs> rather uh, you know, Rabio, you take over and like, 
I'll just gonna hang back a bit. Uh, plus, I mean, Pirlo also for not taking him out. Um, I mean, granted there weren't many alternatives, but you know, not pulling him off at halftime or something. So you know, just starting on a positive note. What is it about first legs, man? Like, when was the last time we had a decent first leg in the Champions League? It was Monaco the year we went to Cardiff. That was that's legitimately the last time that we had a, a positive result in the first leg. Yeah, I, I think it wasn't definitely wasn't great. I, you know, the thing about Bentancur and, and the thing that I, you know, it obviously it, I don't know if bother me is the right word, but it definitely is upsetting is the fact that he, you know, obviously he's going to be the scapegoat. Obviously everyone wants to, you know, transfer him out for peanuts and just bring anyone but Bentancur. And the awful thing is that he was really turning a corner. He was really starting to play much better with Arthur on the lineup. And you put him again in a, in a place where he just doesn't play his best, you know, kind of like not to not to take Bentancur out of the spotlight that Chucks wants to give him to kind of like give give him a piece of his mind. But you know, Kulusevski is another guy who now everyone's like, oh, he had a terrible game, and he did have a terrible game. But it's another another thing where you're like putting him in a place where he's just not going to be the player you want him to be and the player you expect him to be in. And that's just such a disappointment because we know that, you know, I, I think it was a comment. I don't remember who put it, but, you know, just pound for pound. This team is so much better than the majority of teams they're playing. But it's just such an unbalanced squad in which you are dependent on Bentancur being some being a player that he's just not. And you are depending on Kulusevsky on being a guy who he's not. And as long as that continues to be truth, it's going to be hard for them to really kind of really get the full potential of this team and, and really take it to where it needs to go. That's the confusing part about him this season, right? Because last year, and I mentioned it in my, in my post that went up earlier today, he was good no matter where Saudi played him last year. You know, it didn't matter if he was a Regista or if he was a six or an eight or whatever. He was playing well regardless of position. And now it seems like unless he has Arthur to play off, you know, he's playing off of Arthur on the right. It's just not not clicking for him. And that that's one of the most confusing things for me is that he was really kind of showing the versatility. And now it's like he's, unless he's a number six, it's just, it's just not working for him. And it's particularly disappointing because I'm, I'm pretty sure that, you know, a, a big reason why they felt so confident trading Arthur from, for Miralem Pjanic, who had been at that point kind of like the, the top dog in, in the Juventus midfield was because they, they felt pretty confident in the development of, of Rodrigo Bentancur. And I think at the time, most people would have agreed. I don't, you know, it's one of those things that right now on hindsight, in, in hindsight, it's pretty easy to say, well, he's clearly not that good. Like, obviously right now, it's very easy to see that he's not that good. But at the time, I think the majority of people, and apparently including the Juventus board, felt that he was on his way. He was going to finally become that that guy that you can build a midfield around and for whatever reason is just not happening right now who knows if it's going to happen in the future as always you know progress is not lineal so who knows maybe there's just a setback in a weird season and you know with a full off season on, on their on their appeal and whatnot maybe he gets back to being that guy but right now he just he's unplayable at that position and you're just not doing him any favors by you know keep by continuing to put him in that position right now, because he's just, he's just not there at this point. So on a more positive note, 
And as I mentioned earlier, this kind of week of games that Juventus had these very this very big stretch of fixtures, it started with Juventus actually making the Copa Italia final. And I was feeling relatively good about things coming out of that game. And here we are a little more than a week later and, well, uh, not really feeling all that great about things. So that shows you how much things can change. But Juventus actually played well in both legs. They beat Inter, which a team that not so long ago was taking it to them. And just it, it, it's just crazy how it feels like that advancement to the Coppa Italia final feels like it was weeks ago, but it was only like, what, eight, nine days ago? I don't know. I'll have to check the math. But, yeah, it, it's, it's just it's, it's wild how this season is where you can have a really good thing happen, and then all of a sudden a week later we're sitting here in basically our, our second therapy session of, of 2021 because Juventus didn't play all that well. Yeah, as we said, uh, as we were talking about pre-show uh, before recording, it captures the se- that that right there, that narrative captures the season uh, pretty well. Um, I mean, we're halfway to see, well, a little over halfway to season now, and yeah, I mean that kind of you know zigzag yo-yo kind of uh, you know bipolar nature of of the events and of the season is kind of normal, I guess. And to be fair. I think we're not the only team suffering from that. I mean, I think, you know, many teams across Europe are kind of experiencing that. And I think that's just, again, by nature of just how crazy the season is, how many games are condensed into such a short period of time, how many injuries are happening all across, you know, teams. I'm really curious if somebody, and surely some bright researcher will do that, to conduct some research on like the number of injuries I'm most curious about the number of muscle slash fatigue related injuries uh, this season, this season across like top five leagues of Europe and comparing it to like prior seasons. I'm really, uh, I love, you know, if there's anyone that data inclined to do something like that, please. Um, I would really love to read that because I, I am really, I'm very curious to read about that. But yeah, in terms of the, the, the second leg anyway, against um, Inter, it was funny, you know, because we, we talked about like how it was, yeah, I mean, it was classic Juventus. It was, you know, solid defense and just grinding out the game and just really, you know, back to our principles, really back to really our identity. But then this kind of strange irony of it was that the very next game, then the loss against Napoli, I, I believed anyway, the exact thing that we did to Inter was essentially done to us um, by Napoli. They, you know, they defended resolutely. They, you know, got that one goal and they just, that and down the hatches and, you know, really playing for Gattuso was, you know, under a lot of pressure, of course, but, uh, and it was just a very strange irony, like, oh, how, how poetic, like the one thing we did to another team we have, you know, done to us. So that was a definitely very strange experience, which granted, I think that loss we were actually, and I think we generally agreed on that. The loss against Napoli, I, I thought we were, decent overall honestly I think we we're I thought we were just unlucky frankly um yeah I mean I definitely don't think we you know were as catastrophically bad as the 2-0 loss against Inter it was just I mean Napoli just defended well and it was just difficult game and yeah it was just unlucky so you know I don't fault that loss too much but in general yeah I mean with the season th- this is just what I expect I just expect you know one day of like a euphoria and then you know a 3-0 victory against Barcelona and then you know, next day, kind of a 
well, yeah, Calamity's loss against Porto. And I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of the nature of the business. But still, even that said, we could still very well win two titles, two pieces of silverware this season with, you know, the Supercoppa already. And we could very well win the final of the Coppa Italia. I mean, they're one-off games, anything. And one-off games, it's, it's uh, I mean, it's just whoever shows up on the day. It could just, it could, you know, anything could happen. And I've said before how I, you know, believe that, which I still sort of do believe that this Juventus team is more of a cup team than really a league team that it's, you know, we're more there for like, well, except for Wednesday, <laughs> but uh, we're really more there for like, you know, when this is the big game, like now we're going to show up and then, oh yeah, but against Cotone and like, you know, Benevento and, you know, stuff like that. And it's like, uh, we don't, we're not quite there, but against, against the big game against Barcelona, we're there, you know, uh, yeah, big cup games, you know, we're there, but um, so yeah, I'm kind of hopeful for that final. I think we could, yeah, very well win it and then we'll have two pieces of silverware so you know that's more than inter one in the last uh, decade plus <laughs> well as as mrs sergio can tell you maybe barcelona eh, not not that great as as not, not the greatest barometer yeah, after all like <laughs> yeah that that's uh that that that's that that game is it's kind of like the NCAA tournament where you're looking you you know that win is a lot less impressive now than it was you know, at the beginning of the, you know, when it happened, I, I agree a lot with, with what you, with pretty much everything you just said, Chuck. I mean, it's about that second leg against Inter. It was, it was good, good defending, good ball control and possession control when we did have the ball, which was for, you know, we did have for long stretches, you know, there was that bit at the beginning where we were just passing the ball around. I, I did see one person on a, on a, social media group that I'm in get really ticked off at that. And I'm just like, and he, he was talking about how like the, you know, there was no push, there was no, and I'm sitting there going, why do you need the push? Like the whole point of the, of the way that they were passing the ball around in that on those p- spells of possession was to get safe possession. Don't do anything stupid. Don't let inter take their strength, which is their counter game and use it and let them come to us because they had to. Um, and unfortunately that's pretty much what we're going to see on March 9th from the other end. But, you know, it was, it was a good game. It, it deleted, it deleted Inter's biggest strength, which is Lukaku and Barella and Martinez bombing forward on the counter. Fortunately, unlike the Napoli game, they didn't give a stupid penalty kick when Lautaro, you know, kicked air (laughs) and flew to the ground. It, it was it was overall a good win, and it was it to me was all of it exemplified a lot of the positives that we that you can talk about with Andrea Pirlo in that he you know in that particular you know in that moment he recognized what to do and he did it and at that point his players executed it and it worked and that's why I am very much against any talk right now of Pirlo you know, not be, you know, not being good enough, not the right time, not, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. I think he does know what he's doing. It's not getting executed. And yeah, he's still making, at some points like Porto, he's still making mistakes because this is his first year as a coach. But I think the seeds are there. And with a, you know, with a couple of, with a couple of tweaks 
and and a better you know you know a couple more tools at his disposal i think that he can really really can flourish and if if the if the board is patient enough to actually let this be a project instead of just throwing coaches around willy-nilly you know like the way ac milan did during that those 10 years that they had in the wilderness that they're only just pulling themselves out of and chelsea (laughs) and chelsea and anything that maurizio zamparini ever touched in his life and uh and uh yeah that's good old palermo oh yeah and and i think that's the thing isn't it if and and it's been the case for not only this season but last season too if you are in the in the giving mode it's very easy to just justify everything because and and that's the frustrating part because in the inter matchup especially coming after the inter matchup like the napoli game you can easily make the case it was just an unlucky match a couple balls bounce their way. They easily win that one. The Porto match, you can say, hey, listen, you're, one of your midfielders makes a mistake in the first minute. You have a ton of injuries. You have a bunch of guys missing. Of course, they're going to lose that game. Like, it's, it's perfectly fine. It's perfectly acceptable. And if, even if the, the season ends, you know, in March and they get bounced from, uh, by Porto and they barely make Europe in the, in the league, you can easily make the case. Well, it was Andrea Pirlo's first year. He didn't really have an offseason. He had a bunch of injuries. It was a COVID year. Like, it, it's so atypical. And I, I think it is very hard to just, you know, make a judgment of not only this stretch of games, but make a judgment overall of the season. I mean, it, it's, it's going to be very, very tough for, for anybody to make their case, whether you're on one side or the other, right? Like, whether you truly really believe that Andrea Pirlo is not going to ever pan out as a coach or whether you do I happen to think as Sam said I happen to think that he is a good coach I happen to think that he has actually done much better than what a lot of people expected him to do especially in the tough circumstances but because of those tough circumstances it's just going to be so hard to really evaluate moving forward just the team overall even like who 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 stays who stays who goes who knows, right? Like, I mean, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much on Chuck's boat right now. Like, just anything that, like, it's impossible to expect any sort of logic progression, any sort of, like, you know, a big run. I mean, even for other teams, like he said, like, you had AC Milan losing to Spezia, like, not last week. Like, what's happening there? Like, all over the Europe, you know, you have Bayern Munich getting bound from the, you know, the Pokal Cup by a second by a team from the second the Bundesliga, like what you have the, the Mexican team in the FIFA World Cup, like actually playing decent against Bayern Munich. Like, what are we talking about here? Like, and then for the record, that Mexican league team came back and they lost just like a couple of days ago to another bum Mexican league team. Like wh- no one has any, any idea what to expect right now. So, so yeah, at this point, Honestly, at this point, it will win the Supercoppa, the most important competition in Italy, and the Coppa Italia. I'm good. I, I think that's a decent season. I think that's a fair season. I think, you know, finish in Europe and then evaluate next season because this is just crazy to really make another change in such a weird, weird. All right, Chucks, with, uh, with all that Sergio said, first Twitter question from Riasart. At Riasart, do you think Andrea Pirlo is improving? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, improving by virtue of just <laughs> technically we have no reference point really because he's never been a manager. So, <laughs> you know, there's technically like, you know, by definition, he is improving if you have zero as a reference point. So, yeah, some semantics there, but no, I mean, to take it seriously though. Uh, yeah, he, he for sure is, uh, he for sure has improved very quickly. I think improved, first of all, by virtue of just there's clarity about what we're trying to do. There's clarity about the idea. There's clarity about the formation, the lineup, just a general style of play, the players' roles. Like everybody seems to kind of know what they're doing, what they're, what's going on and like what they're supposed to be doing. Okay, it's not always perfectly executed, but there's clarity, you know, about what's going on. Because, yeah, we'll, we'll remember, I uh, remember after the Roma game or maybe match day three or four, how we were saying like, you know, Quadrado's on the left today, and then he's on the right uh, tomorrow. And then, you know, now we're playing 3-5-2, and now we're playing 4-3-3. And it was just like nobody really knew what was going on. So I think just by virtue of that, we're yeah, he's definitely improved, definitely learned from his mistakes. Just look at the two, you know, the two main cases of the Barcelona game and Inter game. First Barcelona game, I mean, it was shambles. Second game, he learned, you know, we, I mean, you know, blew Barca away. First Inter game, completely outplayed, you know, the second and third game, I mean, just remarkably, markedly better. So yeah, I mean, he's been, yeah, and I'll commend him for that. He absolutely has improved uh, very much. And that, that's kind of, you know, that makes me think, yeah, let's keep him on. I mean, you know, if we win the Super, I think, yeah, if we win the Super Copa and Copa Italia, yeah, I mean, I think we should keep him on and make Champions League for next year. All right, Sam, next Twitter question for you from... At R. Rusitano, how important is a healthy Juan Cuadrado to Juventus this season? Very clearly, because <laughs> because without him on the on the right the other day, uh, things got bad. And I think that is the you know putting Chiesa out there in his place on that wing back spot isn't the worst thing in the world, but you know because it is is his natural side. But Cuadrado just he brings a, a, a creative spark that Chiesa doesn't quite have. You actually, you can even see, uh, you could even see Chiesa trying to like pull a couple of those early crosses that, that Juan is so good at from time to time on Wednesday and they didn't come off the same way. Yeah. It, it's just not quite, it, it's not quite the same. He, he does, he can create off of that wing even, you know, and he's, he's just so much more of a dangerous provider than anybody else that can play on that side. So yeah, I think, you know, to have him back for the second leg against Porto, to have him in the lineup against the, you know, in the big games that will, will be coming up soon. It's a really big deal. All right, Sergio, next one's for you from loyal Twitter question provider, the at the true ROAC does Paulo Dybala's continued injury streak worry you about his longevity? Honestly, that's such a tricky question because it's obviously not great that he's been pretty much either hurt or injured the entire year. So that's obviously not great. He's, you know, he's still a young player, but it's obviously not ideal situation. What I'd be interested in, and I've been, you know, obviously as always, Twitter provides very reliable news. As you all know, there's, you know, whatever you see there, it's probably true. Always, so, always, 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 there's no doubt. So 
it's been like most of them have been like freak injuries but now this latest one apparently has like knee issues and they thought he'd bounce back earlier but now they're checking if he has like maybe more damage to his like knee tendon than initially thought like who knows and especially because they're not like being super open about whatever it is that's happening to him overall worries probably not I, I think most of the injuries and ailments he's been having, they've been kind of like fluky, like not, you know, yeah, just fluky, just freak injuries. But if this knee thing kind of like drags on and maybe we don't see him back, you know, the whole of February and maybe March, he's still not quite there. Like maybe at that point you do start to worry because, yeah, he's been out for, for a while now and it's not a particularly, you know, clear view of what is ailing him right now. So. Not right now, like I'm not quite pushing the panic button yet, but I'm like, you know, shooting a few word glances at the panic button. You know, I'm just, I'm just, I just want to know that the panic button is there. You know, I just want to make sure it's there, but I'm not pushing it quite <laughs> yet. The, the latest reports, of course, are that he, he will play on Monday. So who knows? Maybe he plays on Monday and this whole thing is, is mute, right? But so far, I'm not, I'm not super worried. Yeah. Can I just ask that quickly? I would be worried if, uh, and I don't remember all of his injuries, of course. I would be worried if they, if he's getting more, more and more muscle-related injuries rather than freak injuries, because freak injuries are just bad luck. I mean, really, they're, they're just bad luck. But if they're more, if there's a greater occurrence of muscle injuries, then I would be worried. Because look at like um, Aiden Aiden Hazard at uh, Real Madrid. I mean, it's ludicrous how much this guy's injured. I mean absolutely ridiculous like i see like every month basically that he's injured and it's just you know that and it, that's constant it's muscle injuries it's ankle it's this so like if that were constantly happening with dibala i would be worried but if they're just kind of like freak injuries then i'll be a little less for the record this was this is the longest single chunk of games according to transfermarkt.com that dibala has missed yeah, and that's and that is useful to know. Yeah. And it's also and also that's that's a lot of games condensed into what normally yeah. wouldn't be that many games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of calendar time. Yeah. And Chucks, you're forgetting the king of muscle injuries is currently the captain of Juventus. Yeah, Chiellini, man. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's funny, you know, because I wasn't on the last episode because I was thinking about that. I was thinking about how I had basically written off Chiellini. <laughs> I remember that. I remember you guys were recording. I was like, oh man, shame I missed this one. Uh, because, you know, then I could basically offer my apology of like, oh man, I'd written off Chiellini and he's actually, you know, great. And then when we're back now and he's injured again, and I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> we're back to square one. Because yeah, I mean, I basically, I, I think I said something along the lines of like, I'm basically counting out Chiellini for the rest of the season. Because, I'm basically not counting Chiellini on the squad for the rest of the season just because of how fragile he is right now and then he came back and he had that stretch of like four or five games where he was like just amazing and i was like eh, well, jokes on me um but then now obviously he's kind of i mean i don't know how serious the injury is but now he's you know kind of you know injured again so i don't know i guess i was right but wrong but whatever it's all right we'll we'll, we'll welcome you back next week if you want to come back chuck <laughs> Thank you, Senpai. <laughs> sticking, sticking with Paulo Dybala-related things from at Shan11, do you guys think there is a way to play Ronaldo, Dybala, and Morata together when all of them are fit? Keyword, all of, or key phrase, 
all of them are fit. I'll take that one first. Uh, uh, yeah, sure, it's possible if you want to concede ten goals. <laughs> um, <laughs> how did how did I know you'd go well defensive? Uh, yeah, I mean it's yeah, I mean yeah, it is. Yes. I mean it's <laughs> bloody anarchy if you did that. I mean, it, it, uh, I remember Hunter said this uh, many times. Like you know, it would just be the epitome of imbalance. Uh, if we would play all three of them together, it would be a lot of fun. I think, like, sure, play them against, like, I don't know, Coton or, well, yeah, no, Coton, uh, against, I don't know, uh, Cagliari or uh, whoever's bottom of the table right now, which, like, Crotone. Yeah, it is Crotone. It is Crotone. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. I'm <laughs> should give myself more credit. Um, See, but the yeah. Only, the only team I was looking at it last night, the only team in, in Serie A that has allowed more than 50 goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. Like, you know, playing against that and them, but no, I don't think it's any serious uh, team. It just, it, you know, it's not that that's inherently impossible. It's just that the style of play of the team would be have to be have to be so dramatically different for that to be possible. Like I think of like uh, Liverpool, you know, Sané, sorry, Sané, uh, Mane, uh, Firmino and Salah, like, you know, three, three heavily attacking players, but it, you know, I mean, okay, right now they're in a bit of a bit of a pickle, Liverpool. But you know, last season it worked to devastating effect because their style of play is just. I mean, first of all, three of those are just very effective, high pressing, defensive players. Like as attackers, they're great pressing attackers, which means they're basically great defenders because you know, defending the first line of defense is attack. But yeah, their style of play, clubs, you know, a Jurgen Klopp style of play lends to that and makes it work so for Juve we would just have to be the rest of the team would also have to be just dramatically different and it you know it just wouldn't work I think that that also that trio that you mentioned at Liverpool also you know they have very set positions in those and the question would become where would you put Dybala with Ronaldo and Morata on the field the only answer to that for me is probably in the hole behind them in kind of a three if you're going to go three at the back three four one two kind of a thing it should be considered for emergencies for we must score now situations but that that i think is is the extent of it if you go from the very beginning of it you better have a real good idea of what you're doing on the back end all right we'll go rapid fire for all three of the fellas here for our last Twitter question from at Syracup one, what would your dream summer summer signing be and caveat for Sam Lopresti apart from Manuel Locatelli. Versus I'm foiled. I'm going to let everybody else go first on that one. Cause I don't know. <laughs> you stunt there. Didn't you? <laughs> um, I would say whoever could be a backup to Arthur, really. Um, whoever could perform Arthur's role. Does he have well. to be Dutch? Uh, well, I mean, he could be. Uh, <laughs> he um, really could be. I'm trying to think of actually a good... I mean, maybe Frankie de Jong actually would be good. I actually really would be. Yeah, Frankie de Jong, why not? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think he would be... Uh, yeah. Get the Ajax boys back together. Yeah, yeah, I'll go with that actually. Kind of a kind of wild card. But, but anyway, point being, you know, someone to play as a backup to our tour because we're clearly seeing just that there is no one with his skill set uh, in the central midfield. Yeah. You know, obviously the, the 
you know, the part of my brain that only wants to sell T-shirts and have like a lot of followers <laughs> for Juventus, which apparently people tell me it's a very big deal. I would love to have Paul Pogba back. Number one, because like just nostalgia wise, but I understand that it doesn't make a lot of sense with the current get like with the current lineup. You don't really need like he doesn't solve all your issues. But I would like to see him back for purely nostalgic reasons, but I understand that this doesn't make a lot of sense. So that would be just like my gut answer. But for one that's actually logical and given that that Locatelli is not, you know, he, he was excluded from this question. I you know, let me throw a name to you, Gaetano Castrovilli for Fiorentina. You took, uh, you took mine, Sergio. You took yeah, mine, Sergio. He's, he's been playing really well. He's a really, really good player. I think really underrated player in that Fiorentina uh, squad. He does feed the need of that kind of like central midfielder. He's young. Obviously, it's Fiorentina, so who knows what the negotiations of that would even look like. But just as, as a matter of fact of like profile of like the position he would fit of the age, he's very much in the timeline of, of like this whole rejuvenation period of the team. And I, I, th- I think he'd just be really, really good at, at, at the current Juventus lineup. I think he would really solve an issue and you don't necessarily have to break the bank for him. Obviously, again, caveat is Fiorentina. They might ask for like 80 million euros. Who knows? But just like reasonably speaking, I think that would be a guy that I, I'd really enjoy seeing, him, you know, next year for Juventus. But again, Paul Papa, let's just sell a bunch of t-shirts and finish every year in like third place. I, I, I do have it. I do have it. Robin Gosens. I think from that, if we're going with this three, five, two primary as the attacking lineup, you know, he is one of the best wingbacks out there, especially on the left side. You know, Sandro has, Sandro is a good soldier and he is a very competent player, but he seems to have hit his ceiling. And I don't know if Gosens has yet. And I don't, and it's debatable as to whether or not that ceiling or even where he is right now is a little higher than what Sandro is. It would make for all sorts of problems with, you know, fitting Chiesa, Quadrado, you know, unless people start getting moved over the summer. But I do think that Gosens would be a really good addition if we're going to stay with wingbacks. He was he was connected with us a lot last year uh, under Sadi, and I was a little I was a little wary about it because that would mean that he would have to transition to being a true fullback as opposed to a wingback. But if if we stay with Pirlo and we stay with this with a wingback system, I think Gosens would be a great addition. And also, honorable mention, bring back Kane. Bring back Moise Kane. Moise. And, and bury Fabio Paratici's head into a toilet bowl forever letting him go. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> we will end on burying heads into toilet bowls. <laughs> thank you all for sure your... that's that's going to put us on the explicit list on apple isn't that's it? right we will, we, this will have an explicit rating and it's just because Chuck, chuck's told me to so uh thank you all for your twitter questions i know we haven't had them in a few weeks but thank you all for sending them in we had uh quite a few about rodrigo bentancourt and i think our conversation about him earlier in the podcast suffice quick shout out to our boy hunter in the uh the heart of texas dealing with the absolute hellish situation there uh, i know chuck strength hunter strength yeah chuck love chuck's, you. chuck's brought him up earlier so if you give him a shout out here 
get the plugs in you can follow us on twitter at juventus nation at facebook at black and white and red all over search for us on itunes and apple Podcasts. black and white and red all over same goes for spotify and google Podcasts. if you are listening on apple Podcasts, feel free to write a review leave us a rating all of that good stuff we had a nice review the other day saying that even though we are sometimes nice to andrea pirlo we are a very good podcast so thank you much for that review even so, though <laughs> even though yeah it came with the caveat <laughs> so for sam and for sergio and for chucks this is danny saying thank you very much for listening and hopefully when we talk to you guys next week we're in a much better mood <laughs>